Hello everybody, this is Lindsay with Tea Time with Linz. Again, thank you Poe the Passenger for the intro and outro music. Poe the Passenger are going to be our Friday's guests. So listen to Friday and listen to all about Poe the Passenger and what they've been doing during lockdown. Today's guest is actor, writer, director, all-round amazing human being, Dominic Burgess. Dominic was born and grew up in Stoke-on-Trent, England, before making his way to London, where he studied at the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts, also known as Elra, which is an amazing, amazing drama school. Dominic moved to Los Angeles in 2007, and in this episode, if you are thinking about moving to LA, we don't want to discourage you at all. This is not what this is about, but visas are very important. And we discuss visas in depth. Visas, visas, visas. It's a fun conversation. I apologize, Dominic. I feel like I may have scarred you, but you're past it now. You are a citizen. Um, you can follow Dominic on social medias. On Instagram at Dominic Burgess one and on Twitter at Dominic Burgess. You can also see Dominic in a zillion TV shows because he's basically been in all of them, which is <laughs> incredible. He has been in Ant Farm, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, The Leftovers, Feud, The Good Place, Santa Clarita Diet, Star Trek, The Magicians, and soon to be aired, which I cannot wait for, Dr. Death. He also wrote, directed, and stars in a short film with Alfred Molina, Sam did it, which won a bunch of awards. But you know what? We're going to discuss all of that. Something we started talking about after I finished recording was imposter syndrome. So I'm actually going to loop back around to that in a different episode because that's super important. But today we are just going to focus on visas and all the other fun stuff in between. All right, without further ado, Dominic Burgess. So welcome, Dominic. Hello. And hi. Uh, so why don't you tell us how you got into it? Like what got you into the acting bug? How that started? Sure. Um, I'm Dominic Burgess and I got into it at high school. Really uh, pretty simply, I guess. Uh, I went to a high school that encouraged extracurricular activities and because uh, I'm a big guy, even when I was, you know, 13, 14, I towered above all my friends. And uh, so the sports teachers, Mr. Martin, Mr. Askew were like, oh, you're a big chap. You should do rugby. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds terrible. Um, (laughs) And so I, I switched over and I was like, oh no, to get out of rugby, I'm going to do a drama club, which directly clashed without really having any intention of enjoy you know I was like oh to get out of rugby I'll go to drama club and then I fell in love with it the first thing I ever did on stage I was just the ensemble in cabaret uh and I think I was 14 at the time and it was fun and it was silly and it was I was like Mm -hmm. yeah I could do this um this is fine to to keep me occupied uh instead of playing rugby and then the following year uh my English teacher uh at the the Times called Miss Sprout, now she goes by Mrs. Godridge, directed Death of a Salesman. And she was like, oh, you'd be good for Biff. And I auditioned and I got Biff and that was it. That was it. Then I was off to the races and then I fell in love with it. And then we did productions of Way of the World and Volpone, The Birthday Party, Twelfth Night. And um, yeah, I fell in love with it. And I, I went to a very academic school which was wonderful and I I had a wonderful education but I'm not overly academically minded I like to get hands-on and I like Mm -hmm. to if we're going to be in a chemistry lab then I want to blow stuff up not Mm -hmm. you know I want to do experiments and I want to practical stuff um and I knew that I wanted to go to drama school rather than university and then my school wasn't particularly helpful in that avenue because they were like well why don't you fill out the UCAS forms just for fun why don't you see what's going on at Warwickshire and do English (laughs) with drama and I was like ah no I want to 
I want to go to drama school. And I remember Mrs. Atkins sitting with me in the, the career library and being like, well, then I can't help you. And then we just sat in silence for 20 minutes. Uh, but I did my own research. I auditioned for some drama schools uh, and I ended up going to the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts in London for three years, which I loved. I auditioned Every for that school, I think twice. Uh huh. And all I remember is the building was absolutely incredible. It's like Hogwarts. It's it is exactly like Hogwarts. Um, their big hall that they have, mm -hmm. that they did stage combat in, I just yeah. drooled. Um, their recorded, their voiceover area. Yeah. I just, like the whole thing, I was just like, I, I want to go here. And then um, they told me that Doc Cotton lived in one of the apartments. Oh, you know, I think I heard that too, but I don't think I ever saw her. But it was wonderful. I had the best time. It was, you know, pretty intense, nine, ten hours a day. Mm -hmm. We would start off with aerobics for an hour and then go and do theater class for three hours and then do improv and then radio and TV. And oh man, I loved it so much. And I, I've been in Los Angeles now for coming up on 14 years. And I, have, I always said that if for whatever reason I had to go back to England, that I would jump onto their postgraduate course for a year before going back into the industry there. Cause I have no idea what is going on in England right now. Yeah. That's not a bad idea either. Cause I always think about if I go back to England, I'd probably do like a postgrad at Central, uh -huh. but then I'm just like, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't have the urge to go back. I don't think I will go back and maybe further down the line, we can talk about, uh, I don't know. I've had a hard time finding UK reps back in England. Oh, it's brutal. Because I would like to be able to work there because I'm a yeah. citizen. Like, well, sure, I'll, I'll work back home. Uh, and that's been a really tough... Uh... I thought, do you know what? Just really quickly, because I told somebody else that the whole reason I wanted to come out here was to do my own, like, have my own one visa, spend the three years. This is so fucking naive, Dominic. But... I wanted to book co-stars, guest stars, build up my resume, even if it was just like three things. Uh -huh. But like, be like, go back to UK agents, be like, oh, look, I was on this show. I was on this show. I was on this show. Mm -hmm. That was my whole goal of coming here to go back to London. But yeah, so my whole point was to come here for three years and go back. I've been here for 11 years. Uh -huh. I email London agents. I've kind of stopped now because I'm like, okay, I've got uh -huh. to that point where I'm like, whatever. But for 10 years, I would email London agents being like, Hi. And I do not have your resume. Your uh -huh. resume is like literally fucking blocks long. It's And I'm just like, so you've kind of blown my mind a little bit. I, it's It's been so hard. In fact, I've had three UK agents while I've been here for 14 years. The first one I was with when I left, when I got my O1 visa and I moved here. And I went in there and I was like, hey, I got my O-1 visa. So I'm going to try Los Angeles for three years. And they said, oh, that's nice, dear. Are you going to go be a star? All right, we'll see you in three months. Oh. <laughs> uh, and just that mentality was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and then they um, butchered. They butchered a deal. I booked a commercial out here that was through a UK production company and it was going to air in the UK and oh man my my US agents were going to negotiate this great five-figure deal and then the UK agents got really territorial and we ended up making a British scale for the commercial at that time which was like 2,500 pounds and a 500 pound buyout for for something or other internet uh I think cinema usage whatever it was but they they lost us, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a deal because they got really territorial. So I left them. Then I was with another agency for a while who got me auditions maybe once or twice a year, but they were good auditions. And then, uh, when was this? It would have been last August. Uh, I booked a mini series out here. Mm -hmm. I was going to keep me busy for six months. And so I emailed them. I was like, hey, I got, I, I got this job for six months. It's a, it's a limited series and it's, it's great. And then they emailed them and they were like, yeah, I don't think there's anything we can really do for you out here anymore. Um, but good luck. 
I was like, oh, I just got a great job and they dropped me. Um, That's so weird because it's like free money for them. Well, it's not because, um, which is now something else that we're coming into with the new agent was that the way I'd imagined it was that if I was working in the United States and Canada, that my US agents would cover and take commission off any jobs that are in the breakdowns for the US and Canada or anything that comes in the breakdowns and that a UK agent would cover England and Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there'd be this gray area, say for something like Lord of the Rings in New Zealand, that's international or international production companies. Um, But I spoke to a couple of agents that now wanted uh, a 777 split with me and my manager and the US agents, um, even if they weren't involved at all in getting those. So I don't know, I'm still figuring it all out now. It's a murky territory and I don't have the answers for that. But uh, yeah, it's, I still feel like everything's a grind and everything is a fight to get seen or meet with people and get responses to emails, whatever it is, it's everything is still a grind. (laughs) I'm sorry, this is supposed to be uplifting and I'm like- No, it's meant to be informative and this is (laughs) But I just like, honestly, it really blows my mind because I, I look at your resume, your CV, and it's just chocked full of all these amazing, amazing projects. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm and, knock on wood. I'm so, I'm so lucky and I'm, I have a great team out here and I am fortunate to be working, but it doesn't, I don't, I don't know. And maybe this is like you were saying, you, you know, that, that naive bushy tailed wide eyed attitude of like, I'm going to go to America. I'm going to like get these co-stars and, I, I think a, a trap that a lot of actors fall into and certainly it's something that I did was, um, you know, you just think to yourself, oh, if I can just get a place at drama school mm-hmm. and everything else is going to line up and everything's going to be great. And then you graduate drama school and then, oh man, all I need is an audition. I just need an audition and then everything's going to be great. <laughs> and then you just need one. I just, I'd be happy with one line on a show and, and then everything's going to fall into play. And now, I just, and now I need just a few sentences. And, and there's always something else, which is terror. It's a terrible mentality to get into, but I still find myself doing it, you know, like, oh, if, the, if there's just this one thing, then maybe everything else will start falling into place. Um, but I don't think it ever does, which is why I, I encourage people now to very much have a life outside of acting, something completely yeah. non-related that you can shut off and switch down. Because I know that I and my boyfriend makes fun of me all the time because I spiral. If there's a job that I really want, mm-hmm. then I sort of unhealthily spiral into obsession about mm-hmm. it sometimes, especially if, if you're pinned or you're booked, or it conflicts with dates for another job, and you just want to be able to do both. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, acting. You terrible <laughs> monster. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just talk, let's go to the visa section. Oh, visas. Because this is very meaty, very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I. it's so funny. So I wrote an article for Acting in London, this blog website I think I wrote it maybe six years ago because Mm -hmm. I personally was getting so fucking sick of bullshit I was getting sick of headshot people being bullshit because I've I've only seen two headshot people who have been awful in LA Uh everybody else has been amazing but I completely got ripped off by Mm -hmm. these two headshot people um I got ripped off by a manager um just it all this stuff that just kept happening that would make anybody else fuck off back to London. But me, I'm just like, I'm just going to stay here. Um, and so I just got really sick of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this thing and it was very plain, very like direct, very just like, here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. And just don't be like super naive going into uh-huh. things. And I still get emails about that today. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my God, I forgot I even wrote that. But one of the things that I get emailed all the time about is visas uh-huh. and I'm just like I can't really help you anymore because my lawyer just upped and left his office apparently <laughs> 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 I think we 
had the same lawyer. We did, because I think um, you yeah. and I don't know if you remember Anthony. Oh, I don't know if I do. I think he was in, because we met at the acting studio, and I think he was in your, I think he might have been in the class after you. Huh. He was the Australian guy, and he went through the same lawyer. Oh, I don't know. I do know another couple of people that were with the same lawyer, and they have issues. Yeah, because with... he told me about the lawyer, and then you told me about the lawyer, and I was like, oh, it's the same lawyer. So then I'd heard, like, two people talking about him. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is who I'm going to go through. Yep. And luckily, touch wood, I didn't really have a problem with him. Yeah. But it sounds like... I, I guess I didn't. It just took a long time. I think I started my visa process for the 01 in 2005. And my visa didn't come through until 2007. And I moved here on Thanksgiving Day, November 2007. Had no idea it was Thanksgiving. Um... <laughs> Again, wide-eyed, naive, bushy-tailed. So naive that I was just like, yeah, I'm British equity, so I'll be able to just work on, I'm, I've got a visa. I can do anything I want, which is not the case. Um, and then I'm sure you have this story or other people on O1 visas have horror stories of being getting booked on shows and then not being able to work on them because the production company doesn't take O1 visas. Um, I heard that very early on. Literally, I got off the plane and I think I'd been here for a month. Uh -huh. And then I met somebody in Santa Monica and she was like, studios don't take her ones anymore. They used yeah. to. And then I was just like, you mean I've just wasted X amount of money? She was like, yeah, you need to start your green card. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I've just got it. Oh my gosh. I, <laughs> I got here in November uh, 2007. Then... It was the writer's strike when I first arrived. Mm -hmm. um, and so nothing was working, which ended up being beneficial because there were a lot of casting directors that had nothing to do. And so they held a lot of general meetings and they were teaching classes. And so I met, I met more casting directors in LA in three months than I had in three years of being in London. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got an audition for Tintin which was being directed by Steven Spielberg. And I booked it and they told me in August that I booked it of 2008. Mm -hmm. And so I was beside myself with joy that like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna work on Tintin. <laughs> with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> then I went back home for Christmas to England and I had a phone call uh, to say, hey, Dominic, can you send us everything from your O-1 visa case? I was like, yeah, sure, sure, okay. Um, and then, of course, our mutual mm. attorney mm -hmm. was not traceable or contactable at all. He was radio silent. Um, and eventually I think we got in touch with him, but th then it turned into a whole thing for two weeks where it was going back and forth being like, yeah, everything, it's going to work out fine. Paramount is going to do the, they're just going to resubmit your paperwork and get an O-1 visa for their studio. And then they came back and be like, there's not going to be time to do that. We're just trying to see if we can use your O-1 visa. Anyway, long story short, um, Paramount wouldn't accept my O-1 visa. Oh my goodness. Then I booked CSI Miami and they wouldn't take a visa. Then I was pinned on the mentalist and they wouldn't take a visa. So, but much like you, I'm pretty tenacious. I was like, well, I'm here and I'm going to make it work. And mm -hmm. luckily my manager is fantastic, but I did. There was another circumstance where I was working on a Fox show and they wouldn't let me out of my trailer onto the set one morning because they were like, wait, are you on an O-1 visa? Oh my gosh. Oh my god oh my god hold tight don't come on the set um oh my god so that was an instance and then i did work a full day on an abc show and they knew that we were on an o1 visa because i became so neurotic about making sure that everyone mm -hmm. had the paperwork did the day's filming everyone was lovely and because i was being used a lot that day I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to leave my phone in my dressing room just so I can concentrate and just, you know, enjoy the day um, and talk to people. I got back to my dressing room and I had like 23 
voicemails. And the first one starts off very mild-mannered. Like, hey, Dominic, um, it's production. Um, we're just doing your paperwork. Are you on an O-1 visa? Okay, call me back. And then each voicemail got progressively more and more panicked. I had voicemails from the casting director, voicemails from my manager being, she's wonderful. She's like this one woman army, uh, the South African lady called Camilla. And she was like, uh, Dominic, you need to call me back. Everything is falling apart here. Uh, <laughs> figure everything out. Until the last voicemail was this very stern guy. And I don't know who it was, who was like, Dominic, you just cost production a hundred thousand dollars. We're going to have to bring this week's director back next week. We can't tear down the swing sets. The cast is going to have to come back, do these scenes again. We're going to have to recast the role. And, oh, my gosh, I thought that my career was over. I thought I was done. I thought I was toast. Oh, um, my God. Dominic, I'm oh, sweating for you. Stories. I'm literally sweating for oh you. Oh, my gosh. And then, oh my, and then, you know, that the... The, the sort of clammy palmed panic of mm -hmm. which I'm getting right now just even once your three-year visa is over mm -hmm. having to renew every 12 months yeah and then I started a green card process with same attorney mm -hmm. because I was told well no you can't go to a different attorney you have to do your green card through the same attorney that did your O-1 visa which that's bullshit right isn't that <laughs> Um, I, I did my green card through a different uh -huh. but I don't I, even know that guy was around anymore but I, I still wish I wish uh, because my first green card got rejected and you know you know how hard and expensive it is I saved like ten thousand mm -hmm. dollars and like pulled together all this paperwork and it got rejected thank goodness I was still covered by an 01 at that time so then I was still on an 01 for another few years. Did my second green card case like an idiot, still with the same attorney because he he lost your file. But luckily, because you're already in our system, I can just refile again for you. Anyway. Did it cost the same amount of money? Did he it, take that money? He took the money all over again. Yeah, I repaid for the whole case all over again. I could, oh so ultimately, so I probably have spent thirty thousand dollars in green card cases and visa cases uh, just to try and be here and, and work. Mm -hmm. um, and I lost more work on the second green card case because I implored him. I was like, "Please, can we just I'll file concurrently and do an O one with the green card in case this one gets rejected?" And he was like, "You don't need to do it this time." And then he didn't file for months. And then my O-1 expired before the green card came through. And I lost another couple of jobs. Long story short, Lindsay, I'm a citizen now. And so I don't have to, like, the I'm, <laughs> Anytime I see a Brit or an Australian, like anyone I know getting their citizenship, because oh. I've been in that struggle, my mm -hmm. struggle is definitely not anywhere near as bad as yours. Yours is, I can't, yours is nightmare it's literally making me feel sick but i get so excited when people become a citizen because it's so much easier it's, it's night and day yeah like they don't have anything like i mean even the green card was night and day to the visa the i i mean i i don't know i've heard horror stories about visas now mm -hmm. um but i haven't gone in depth because i uh i'm no longer in in that situation but now i understand that managers or agents have to sponsor the O-1s or it's better if the manager or agent sponsors the O-1 visa rather than having a blanket visa. But the caveat is that if that manager or agent drops you, your visa suddenly becomes null and void and then you have 10 days to get out of the country. <gasps> have fun! <laughs> Which is, oh my gosh, I'm having sweaty palms just even thinking about that situation. Well, because when you get an agent or manager, you're always, I know that I'm always like, am I going to get dropped? Am I going to get dropped? Am uh -huh. I going to get dropped? So you always have that pressure anyway. And so have, to have that extra pressure. From the other side, if you drop them as an agent, your your paperwork becomes yeah. null and void, unless I guess you find someone else to sponsor it. Uh, 
because I know, I think my first commercial agent that I had out here combusted because they were embezzling clients money. And so, you know, that could have been a situation where they were my sponsors and like, oh, well, they embezzle money and there goes my visa. Um, so I don't even know. I don't even, uh, uh, to anyone going through an O-1 visa process right now, good luck, got speed. Yeah. Any Anytime anyone emails me about O-1 visas, I'm like, look, get your green card as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. And I know it sucks. And I know you're spending so much money, but mm-hmm. you don't even understand. I just remember, I don't know how true this was, but it was at one of the casting director workshops and a casting director had brought somebody on for a TV show. And mm-hmm. I think she was Australian. And she said she had an O-1 visa. She didn't have an O-1 visa or it expired or something had happened or it hadn't been, whatever. And so that shut production down. And I yes. just heard multiple stories like that. So then I was just like, that's why the O-1 visa uh-huh. not. I heard those same stories. The exact, in fact, it might've been, maybe we were in the same class. It would have uh, been It would have been in the studio that we were in. The... Um, yes, I heard those stories too, that there were so many international actors coming out saying that they had their paperwork, going to audition, getting hired, and then them finding out that they didn't have the paperwork that put sour tastes in but everyone. I don't understand if you actually physically have the visa and you can prove it, then why would that? No that, idea. Yeah. Mm. No idea. And there was a time, <sighs> um, I don't know if they still do it anymore, that you would go into casting offices and the sign-in sheet and there would be a little column that even said, are you on an O-1 visa? And you would have to declare it uh, when you signed in. So I don't know if that's still a thing or not. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't want to dissuade anyone from coming to the US to work because it's, I still feel like it's the best decision that I've ever made in my life. And you can mm-hmm. make it work and you find the agents and managers that want to fight and push for you and... Uh, it's possible. It's possible. So do it, but yeah, yeah just be prepared emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> mentally, in every way. Oh my goodness. Well, congratulations on becoming a citizen. Thank you. You too. Yeah. Oh my God. It really, it just felt like such a weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Uh-huh. Even though I was on a green card and it was like, I think it still had like five more years on it. I just yeah. had- such anxiety about visas me too i I was anxious that the the previous administration might do something unpredictable or say Mm -hmm. no more green cards um yeah that i was like oh my gosh i've I've got to become a citizen (laughs) i Um, think that's what gave me anxiety because i thought the exact same thing (laughs) so it was i think having such a stressful one Mm-hmm. and green card process I was like oh my gosh I can't I can't I can't lose it all now and so yeah I started off that process as soon as I I could yeah oh. yeah I, here I, we are here, here we, we are. are it's just like you walk down the street and everything's rainbows I mean I say that but we were talking before you started recording now I'm having passport nightmares uh because COVID has slowed everything down for the passport process. Um, and I need a passport to go and work and to be able to come back into the country, a US passport to come back into the country. So yeah, now I'm, I'm finding it hard to get appointments to start the passport process. But I'll figure, we've been through worse. We'll figure it out. Yep, yeah. And I'll send you the, the passport place near me. Because I think there are two. So okay. I'll send you both. And yeah. they're super not busy. Yeah, my boyfriend um, and I are just going to make a trip of it. If we can't get an appointment beforehand, then we're going to go camping up near San Luis Obispo. I'll start my passport paperwork. You should stay at the Madonna Inn. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Matt likes to camp, so we'll probably end up in a tent on the beach somewhere. Well, that's fun as well. Which is fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Okay, so your CV resume is just so fucking bananas that I don't even know what to pull out. Oh, thank you. And be like, well, what should we talk about? Because there's so much stuff. I know that you were on that TV show, The um, Ant Farm. Yes. Because I remember 
when one of the last times I saw you, we were at a casting workshop and you just had kids running up to you. That's right. And yeah, and just being like, oh my God, it's you. <laughs> so yeah. that was, I think, the last time I actually saw you. Um, that would have been a while ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ant Farm was my uh, jettison from my day job. Um, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I moved here in November 2007. And then I was working in a movie theater for five years. Uh, and I left, I think it would have been December of 2013. And I was, I was reaching a point where I was auditioning and working enough for it to start interfering with getting shifts covered and when I first started working there, they were great because you could just say, hey, Phil's going to take my shift. And they'd be like, okay, great, cool. He can pop popcorn and clean restrooms. Um, and then they became very corporate. And when you needed time off, if it was for an audition or you were filming, they would say, well, you have to fill out the paperwork two weeks in advance and you have to write to head office and you have to think about your professional discipline. Um, and I booked Ant Farm and it was supposed to be for three episodes and it was in December and I went to my managers at the cinema and they were like, well, it's a blackout period. So you can't have the time off. So now you have to think, do you want to do this job for three weeks or do you want to stay at the cinema? And you know, the cinema was what, eight twenty five an hour, um, which was great. You know, it's, it, day jobs serve their purpose uh, in a, you know, a wonderful way. And, uh, but yeah, that was the jump that was, they gave me an ultimatum and I was like, well, I've got to, I've, I've got to go do the, the acting work, but I do have friends that have started day jobs and then, you know, they get promoted and then they're supervisors and then they're locking up the building at night and then they're responsible for the money at the end of the day. And then they sort of get trapped by responsibility in a, a job Mm -hmm. um, which was something I was very acutely aware that I didn't want to do. Um, so yeah, I left. And then that job ended up going for uh, nine months. So I was very lucky. Um, That's incredible. Um, what I'm going to talk about some of your other projects because I know some oh. are like really like the huge Betty and Joan. Uh -huh. Like that was, that's a huge company because that was, isn't that um, Ryan Murphy? Yeah. Um, you know, I can trace a whole thread of my career back to uh, a casting director called Jenny Treadwell. Mm -hmm. um, when I first got to LA, she was uh, the assistant or associate, I think she was the assistant at the time or the associate with Krisha Bullock, who was casting iCarly at the time. Mm -hmm. And they brought me in so many times for iCarly and I never booked. Um, and, you know, the first time I went in, I, I was able to track it down and it was like British chap um, <laughs> and, you know, little co-star roles. Uh, but Jenny had become a fan. And then I'd seen her another couple of times when she was moving offices and she was, she became the associate on feud at UDK. And when this role came along, she made a vision board of me and the actor that I was playing, Victor Buono. Mm -hmm. And she had made a huge cutout with my face next to his face several times over in similar poses to show how much we looked alike. And she had pushed and pitched for me to get into that office. And they... I think the office was closed. It was on hiatus. So the office was closed, but they came in specifically to let me read. Uh, and I came in and yeah, I, I booked that show and which has then led to other things. Um, and then from Feud, I was introduced to Alfred Molina and then I uh, asked him to do a short film that I was directing. And then I used that to circle back around to Ryan Murphy TV to get on their director mentorship program so I could shadow on 911. And so that whole thread of my career, I can trace back to one casting director. 
which is it's it's insane to think that you know casting directors are such advocates and fans yeah that yeah and that's just one thread and then there are other threads of other other casting officers that I I love and I'm so excited anytime I get an audition I know that I'm gonna have a fun time in there um yeah but it, it boggles my mind that I can track that back to one audition for British chap back in 2008 (laughs) so talking about Alfred Molina who was in your short film I was gonna ask about this as well Uh so you wrote Sam did it yes that's right Uh uh-huh and that I remember seeing that on your Instagram or Twitter or whatever Uh that did really really well in the festival circuit yeah it it did its rounds in the on the festival circuit um and I use that to, to jump onto Ryan Murphy's director mentorship program and then subsequently after doing feud uh, a director called tate taylor who did get on up uh and girl on the train and the help uh called and was like hey i saw you on uh feud uh why don't you come do this horror movie down in uh in mississippi with us and so i was like oh my god great cool Uh, and so then I went to work on that film and I went back to work on is another that Ma, film. Or is that something else? Yes, Ma. Oh, okay. and when, I, when I watched that, I was just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, Ma uh, and Breaking News in Yuba County, I worked on in Mississippi with them. And, you know, I said that I wanted to direct and that I would, you know, be happy to shadow. And they were like, well, uh, okay, well, what do you want to direct? And I was like, well, actually, I have a, a World War II film that I want to do. And I sent it to them and they were like, okay, great, let's go. You direct, we'll produce. Uh, and so now, uh, yeah, the wheels are spinning on on that to, to direct a feature film, which they'll mm-hmm. produce down in Mississippi. And again, you know, without Feud, I wouldn't have made that connection, but I wouldn't have gotten Feud without Jenny Treadwell. And so mm-hmm. that whole thing had its genesis in like a, one line co-star on iCarly back in 2008 um another another friend who i interviewed for one of these podcasts ben he was saying the same thing where he did a co-star eight years ago uh and eight years later he got this other tv show and then from that he got like ant-man and the wasp and it Uh is really crazy just i think one of the things i do love about la and this is what keeps me going is you can meet someone a decade ago and mm-hmm. if they're a fan, they're a fan. Yeah. And they're always going to remember you. And I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just makes my heart flutter a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's exciting. Um, and like, you know, there are so many offices that I'm sure there are, are multiple threads um, through things that I've, I've gone and auditioned for small things. And, um, you know, uh, it, it, sometimes words can sound trite and and fake and you you hear the phrase book the room Mm -hmm. um and it's really it's really really true that you know again a negative thing about actors is we we beat ourselves up so terribly if we go and we audition and we're like oh my gosh I did so well why didn't I get it they must hate me as a person um (laughs) and it's not true there are so many factors that go into getting a role whether it's you know I'm six foot five and 300 pounds and so I've been too tall I've been too big I've been too small for roles uh and there's just no way of knowing but you you do make fans in the room and if you mm-hmm. go and you do good work then they remember that and and yeah and I used to I used to be terrible for this Lindsay um and I think it came from acting in London where auditions felt so few and far between. I would be lucky in in England if I got an audition maybe once every three or four months. And so it felt like a pressure cooker of like, oh, I've got to book this role. I've got to get this role. I've got Mm -hmm. to get this role. Otherwise I'm not going to have an audition for another four or five months. I've got, and you put that pressure on yourself and that it sort of breeds this desperation of like, what do you want? What do you want? I can do whatever you want. Just Mm -hmm. I know what you want, then I can give you what you want instead of, um, making your own choices and decisions and going in and just doing what you want to do in the room 
which I'm much better about now, unless it's a project that I really want. And then those old terrible habits come in and then those nerves creep right back in. So uh, then that leads me on to my next question, because I know that you're a huge Star Trek fan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then... <laughs> uh-huh. So then you obviously booked a role on Star Trek. I did, which was a terrible, I mean, I can't say that it was a terrible audition because I, I booked it, uh, but it was one of those situations where I wanted it so much mm-hmm. that I was aware that in the waiting room, those bad habits, those bad audition habits came in where I was like, oh my gosh, I just wanted so much, I wanted so much. And again, uh, Liz Dean was the casting director on that and she was, she's so wonderful and so warm and so encouraging. And there was so much technobabble and scientific terminology in the audition. <laughs> and it was four pages long and every time at the top of the third page, I butchered it. And we must have done three or four takes. And Liz was like, hey, do you want to take a second and go outside and you can look over that section? And I was like, no, I know it, Liz. I promise I know it. I've done, I've done so much work on this. Uh, and she was like, okay. And we, we did it the next time and, and we made it all the way through. Uh, but she was such an advocate. Like she could have just yeah. turned the camera off after two takes and said like, well, thank you so much. But she, she didn't. And she's such a supporter of actors thank thank goodness uh but yeah what a dream what a dream job i used to race home after school to to watch next generation on bbc2 and sky one and yeah oh man then i met jonathan frakes who was directing the episode and i cried and (laughs) there were a lot of and you know you you throw it out in the universe and you say like oh man if i could just work on star trek i could retire just a happy happy man just being a closed door in the back of the set uh See, it's really funny that you said you were struggling with the the um, scientific jargon because I do remember that when I very first met you at the acting studio we went to, which is, it was like 2008. This is how long, and this is how I still remember. We were doing a class and you had, it was like, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a scientific piece, uh-huh. a scene that you were doing and you just fucking nailed it so well and then the casting director i think it was zora i think it was oh zora i haven't seen her for a long time yeah yeah and she was just blown away and you were like yeah i just i started groundlings i've got out my head i just don't care anymore and you literally like that piece i was just like oh my god this guy is like a genius oh my gosh i want to meet him (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sometimes it, you know what i've found and you inspired me to go to groundlings after that just oh really know. yeah oh, <laughs> and we gosh. talked about groundlings after because i was like how did you just do that ah! <laughs> you know, i was talking with my boyfriend about this the other night uh because i i had to put an audition on tape uh this week at very short notice and just maybe like two pages of material but i also find going into the rooms sometimes I don't know how my own brain works because you could give me 13 pages of material and I could walk into a casting office and have a whale of a time and be like yeah this is fun it's 13 pages but I'm having a great time and then literally the following day you could give me one and a half pages and I walk into an office and I my brain doesn't compute or work on the same level and then I I panic and I get nervous um so interesting yeah in fact once I think I went in for something with uh Rory Scheifelstein uh was casting and they were doing two separate projects and I got an audition for both and they were spaced like an hour apart and I was like great I'll go do the first audition then I'll go have lunch and I went in did the first audition Felt so good about it. It went great. Went and had lunch, came back. And I think the second role was smaller for this different show. And I fell apart in the room. And it was the same casting, it was the same room, same casting director, smaller role. And I fell apart. And uh, yeah, acting. So interesting. So like I said, you've got so many projects that I'm just literally just randomly pulling stuff. But the one thing that I'm super jazzed about, which I think you just finished filming, 
is Dr. Death. Oh boy. Which, yeah. did you listen to the podcast? Uh, not before I got cast. I got cast and then, no, wait, did I get the audition? And then, no, this is how it went. <laughs> I, because I wasn't the original choice. Uh, they were going to go with, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name, but he works on This Is Us, uh, Chris. Ah, I'm so sorry. Oh, um. Sullivan, Chris Sullivan. Yeah, I know, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so it was original. Oh, he was the original choice. He was the original choice, um, but then COVID hit. And then when they came back around to production, uh, he was back on This Is Us and he mm-hmm. couldn't, the, the dates conflicted. And so they opened up the search again. But, and I was supposed to go and do something on a show in Mexico, a new Apple show in Mexico, and that got delayed. And then I booked Dr. Death and that show came back and we're like, okay, we're back up. So then I couldn't do the job that I was going to do in Mexico. So it was like a a domino effect of Uh COVID of people switching roles, I guess. But yes, I did the first audition. Then I got a call back and then I was like, okay, now I'm going to listen to the the podcast. Cause I, I sometimes have a terrible tendency of if it's a role that I really want, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll study and I'll, I'll soak up as much information as I can. And then I become so emotionally invested that it can damage my audition because Mm -hmm. I want it too much. Uh, So I try and be a little mindful of that. I auditioned for, did it end up on AMC, a show called, uh, Nosferatu, N-O-S for a two, uh, for the role of being Partridge. I remember it's, it's, uh, I think it's a Joe Hill book. And I went and I read the book before the audition and I fell in love with the character. And then, uh, you know, I ended up network testing, but I put so much pressure on myself that it wasn't my best work. Uh, but yeah, um, Dr. Death was, it was glorious, a great, uh, yeah, it was a great experience and something that I don't get a chance to do a lot, which is, you know, pretty heavy mm-hmm. drama. So it was, it was a stretch. Uh, I had a lot of anxiety riddled nights where I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's just acting. Maybe that's, that's just what I we I think that's just actually, I think that's just what we put ourselves here. Because that podcast, my husband doesn't really listen to podcasts, uh-huh. but he overheard it one time and then we were taking our dog for a walk. And because obviously they're about 45 minutes to an hour, we just extended our walk, extended mm-hmm. our walk. And every night it was, it's like a soap opera. Yeah. And it's just fucking, it blows my mind. So when I saw they were making it into a TV show, I was just like, <gasps> and then I saw you were in it. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. I cannot wait for it to come out i mean i just oh, me too it was um i mean knock on wood I, I know how very fortunate i am to be working but especially in covid to be able to go to new york and, and work for five months on something it was a real trip getting out of my hair i feel like because i'm always hustling for for work Mm-hmm. And I jump from show to show to show to show. I, I sort of have this squirrel mentality where I'm like stuffing nuts in my mouth and like gotta gotta save up for those lean times. Um, so it was it was a very odd experience having five months of work and being on one show and feeling comfortable mm-hmm. like, oh, i'm I'm on this show and I can relax and just focus on one character without it being like three days and then I've got to find something else and two days and then I've got to find something else and we can got to find something else um so it was a real switch mentally uh and I don't know if I did it for the first couple of months it wasn't until sort of two months in that I was like oh I guess this is the norm now and then of course you rap and then you're like what am I gonna do (laughs) I'm never gonna work again Uh, yeah acting acting oh my goodness is there anything else specific you would like to speak about uh not that i can think of off the top of my head but if you've got questions i'll answer them well i always ask because i i just like to ask but 
it's such a, a stupid question but what piece of advice would you give someone either pursuing acting coming over to America I feel like we've answered the coming over to America because we've like, uh-huh. done the visa thing or just someone who's like been out of the game and getting back into the game you know I think we kind of touched on it and it's it's a far easier thing to say than to do um but I know for myself that my work is stronger when I stop caring Mm -hmm. when I get a role and I go into an audition doing what I want to do instead of second guessing myself and thinking what do they want to see and I just want to please them because then I think you lose your power and you get in your head Mm -hmm. I I know that for myself my my work is much better when I make a strong choice and I read the script and I say oh this is my interpretation of what this is and I'm going to go in the room I'm going to give them what I feel this character is and then if they want to play and if they want to redirect great I'll be flexible enough to play and take direction and collaborate so yeah I think going into an audition in the spirit of making a choice and collaboration rather than from a place of desperation and and needing Mm -hmm. the job and I know it's it's it sounds easier than it is to do and and sometimes I still fall into the trap of like oh my gosh I want it so much that I what do they want um (laughs) yeah it's tough But yeah, that's what I would say, I think. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Dominic. Yeah, thank you. you. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Um, And once again, thank you so much, Dominic, for coming onto the show. Like I said, you can follow Dominic on Instagram at DominicBurgess1 and on Twitter at DominicBurgess. And again, like I said, listen to Friday's episode with Poe the Passenger, who do the intro and outro music and all around fabulous band. All right, until then, have a good one. Bye.